You're listening to the From Hostage to Hero podcast, episode number 239. When you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Well, hello, everyone. So glad to be with you today. If my voice sounds odd, it's because I've been struggling with bronchitis since the day after Christmas. Man, this stuff is hanging on. So apologies in advance. Today we are talking about how to combat the shit happens defense. But before we do that, I wanted to read something, not a review, although if you're listening to this and you recognize this, you can definitely go and post it as a review. But somebody sent me this via Facebook Messenger and they said, and I just love this, you are my hero. Listening to your podcast has taken me from terrified of trying my first jury trial against a huge law firm and defendant to thrilled. Thank you for what you do. Well, thank you for listening. I so appreciate all of my listeners. And let's get into it. So if you're a plaintiff trial lawyer, you know that the big fear, one of the many big fears, because there are many big fears that you have, is jurors thinking, well, shit happens. You can't litigate every damn thing. Now, I said the title is The Shit Happens Defense, and I'm not suggesting that defense lawyers actually come out swinging with that defense. They don't. Of course, they hint and they hope and all of the things, but it is common enough that it got me thinking about how to combat this. And in fact, it came up fairly organically when I was in the crew the other day in the H2H playground. And I was working in our presentation skills call, and that's where people have a hot seat and they come in and they present part of their opening, and then they get coached by yours truly. And if you are not in the crew, why the hell not? We just dropped the price in January by 40%. We had a sale going on. Now, if you miss that, we may, no promises, do it again in April, but get in there, my friends. Go to uh, sorryswears.com forward slash play, P-L-A-Y. If you're interested, put your put your name on the wait list. But I was coaching in there and it suddenly hit me that there is a very, very easy way to combat this shit happens thinking. And I wanted to share it with you today because I think it's so important. So in life, to get us thinking about this, where do we usually say, well, shit happens. If you think about it, we say that after the fact, meaning after something has happened, we say things like, well, what can you do? Shit happens. Do we ever say shit happens before something happens? Like before you go into surgery, Do you say to yourself or other people, I hope it goes well, but you know what? Shit happens. Maybe I'll die on the table. No, we rarely 
ever say shit happens before something happens. And here's why. Because if it hasn't happened yet, it is preventable. Let me say that again. If it hasn't happened yet, it is preventable. Now, if you're listening, I'm sure you're thinking, well, duh. But okay, if it's well, duh, why are you presenting it as a fait accompli, i.e. this has already happened in your opening statements? Because if you're doing that and you are doing it, and I'm going to show you why today or prove it to you that you are doing it today, if something has already happened, then there's nothing we can do about it. Enter in, shit happens. The way in which you present your material, your opening to jurors is absolutely affecting whether or not they are thinking, well, shit happens and you can't litigate for every little thing. It has everything to do with the order in which you're doing it. Now, think about how most of you put your opening together. And I'm thinking at the beginning of the opening. Let's forget the hook or the rule or any of that. After that part of your opening, most of you, and this is what happened the other day in the crew, although I don't know why, because I teach not to do this, but there it is. Most of you will launch then into the story of what happened. Right, so here, let me tell you what happened in this case, right? And you talk about the thing that happened. And then when you're done, you say, here's why all of that is wrong. We are here because they shouldn't have done A and they shouldn't have done B and they shouldn't have done C. And that is the problem. First and foremost, you are presenting it as though it already did happen. And if it already did happen, then there's nothing we can do to prevent it and shit happens and you lose your case. Now, I know, I know you so well that I know what else you're thinking. You're thinking, um, but it already did happen. Sorry, that's why we're here. Uh, no, it didn't. Not to the jurors, it didn't. You ha- You forget so often that you know everything there is to know about your case. You could talk about it backwards, forwards, upside down, and sideways. But jurors have never heard what happened here. And you have this amazing opportunity that as much as I love you, you consistently squander. It is probably the most amazing tool in your toolbox asset that you have, however we want to talk about it. And you'll never get another opportunity like it. And here it is. You go first in most jurisdictions. In 99% of jurisdictions, there's some backwards places. I can't think of it right now. Um, where's Chris Finney from, Kevin? Missouri, is that is that... Do they do it backwards there? Do you know? I'm not sure. Chris, if you're listening, let me know. But there are some places that it's backwards and you don't have that that advantage. But for the majority of you, and if you don't know who Chris Finney is, he's like 
an amazing trial attorney from Missouri. That dude is like kicking ass and taking names. And I can say I knew him when. But you go first. For example, in Wadir, I remember I was on a podcast, and you've heard me talk about this, a guest on a podcast, and they were telling me about this, really this victory story. They were trying to impress me, and they were saying, one time in trial, my, I started with, my client is a Muslim, and who here has a problem with Muslims? And I got like 13 people off for cause, because this is the big trophy for y'all. How many people you got off for cause? Here at H2H, that is not the point of what we're trying to do in Boadir. And so the podcast interview said, well, what do you think about that? And I said, well, what I think about it is if you come out and that is the first thing that you say, my client is a Muslim, now you have made the case about that. The case is now about your client being a Muslim. I mean, here's what you have to understand about jurors, yes, but also verbal information in general. Verbal information is the most difficult information for our brains to process. Our brains love to have things make sense. This is why it's, and the reason why I should say, is because it's always scanning for danger. So if something doesn't make sense, if something's confusing, if we don't know what we're doing or why we're doing it, the brain's like actively on alert. Like, wait a minute, this isn't familiar because the brain doesn't like unfamiliarity. And it's always looking to keep you safe. So what the brain does is it tries to make connections and make those connections quickly. It tries to familiarize the situation so it can create safety for you. So think about Boadir, for example, because we are very limited in what we can say in Boadir in terms of this brain connection piece. When you talk about something in Boadir, it's like adding an ingredient. So the first question that comes out of your mouth is ingredient number one. So let's say your first ingredient is flour. And so immediately the jurors are like, okay, so this, this case involves cooking or baking, right? That's what their brains are doing, right? And then your second question involves apples. And they're like, oh, flowers and, ap- and, and flour and apples. Okay, this could be, this could be apple pie. And then your third question involves cinnamon. They're like, uh-huh, yep, this is apple pie. This is apple pie. And then your fourth question has to do with motor oil. And they're like, huh? wait a minute, what does motor oil have to do with apples? And See, because this is where their brains are going. And any time that you introduce things, they are immediately trying to make connections and trying to familiarize the situation. Now, this applies to opening two. And this particularly applies when we're talking about this concept of the shit happens type of thinking that jurors get into. Here, you can give details unlike in Wadir, where we don't get to talk about many details. So they're really just snatching at things and trying to put together a coherent narrative, which is why, going back to Wadir, because, you know, I love talking about Wadir. When in Wadir, you're not careful about how you are 
playing with the ingredients or ordering the ingredients, they can go down a completely different recipe. I'm taking this metaphor out of control. And by the time you figure out that that's where their brains are, it's much harder for them to come back from that. But on to opening. Here you can give details, but now what really matters is the order. I'm going to give you another terrible analogy, which I'm so good at doing. Excuse me, I have to cough. <coughs> and here it is. Imagine that you're on vacation and you decide to go snorkeling. I've done this once and only once, and there's a reason why I was terrified. Um, but I think Kevin and I were in Mexico when we did it. I can't remember. But let's say they hand you the masks and the flippers and they take you to the place where you're going to see this amazing coral and you jump in the water and a shark bites your leg off. And that never happened before in the history of this company. Now imagine that they pull you out of the water and they're like, well, why weren't you wearing a shark proof suit? I looked that up. There actually is. It's like $7,000, but they have like shark proof material. Um, why didn't you like bonk it on the head? There's this place that you can bonk it on the head and, and it'll let go of your leg. Or why didn't you snorkel in this different area? <laughs> I think most of you would be like, um, that information would have been really helpful to me prior to me getting in the water. Right? I mean, think about what jurors would think if this was an actual case. Um, shit happens. You go into the ocean, there's sharks, right? And it never happened before. There's nothing that the, the company could do. Like, let's let them off the hook. Okay, now imagine that you're considering going snorkeling. You've heard about shark attacks. You're a little worried about it. So you go to the company and you say, I, I'm a little worried about snorkeling because I've heard about sharks. And the company says, well, here's how we keep our people safe. First off, there's a special, I'm making this up, shark report that comes out every day that tells us where there have been shark sightings. And so we pick a particular safe area every day. And second, we provide these brand new shark, you know, proof suits for all of our clients. And third, we teach you what to do if you see a shark and how to get out of that situation alive. Again, again I'm making it up. But the point is, is that when you teach first how to avoid the danger that happened, a very, very interesting thing happens to the juror's brain. The way that we teach opening here at H2H is that when you are teaching or when you are doing your opening at all, you are telling, for example, the story in present tense. We're going to take the jurors back to that day and once they're there, we're going to walk them through like it's happening now. Now, here's how we put it together. If you're driving, you might want to pull over and take notes. Please don't take notes while you are driving. In our opening, after our, the hook, which is the opening rule or impactful statement or whatever it is, we start by front-loading the danger. Right? So if we're using our shark example, we can say, Snorkeling can be dangerous due to sharks because if a snorkelist comes in contact with a shark, a shark can rip off one of your limbs, whatever it may be, right? So if you are in a med mal case, you're going to front load your danger 
with something like most, I'm thinking, you know, an OBGYN case. Most babies are born healthy and most births go just fine. But sometimes babies can get stuck in the birth canal. And if you, if the doctors are not prepared for that and don't get the baby out in time, the baby could suffocate to death or be born with a traumatic brain injury. Whatever it is, snow happens. And when snow and ice are on the outside of a building and a building owner doesn't do what they need to do to prevent that, people can slip and break their leg or their arm or whatever, right? We front load with the danger. We're like, here's the danger. Then the next part we talk about is how do we avoid that danger? We make it known that it is avoidable. If you've been listening to me for a while, you know that I talk about you have to win any plaintiff case, you have to answer two questions in jurors' minds for them to award damages in your case. One is, and this is the most important one, how could this have been avoided? If you cannot show that it could have been avoided, then you are not going to win your case. The end. You also need to show how money can help. That's a different topic for a different day. So right from the top, we say this is an avoidable danger. And when you do not do that, you miss an opportunity. Because what you're doing from the beginning is not only highlighting in their brain, this is avoidable, it hasn't happened yet, but you are putting front and center one of the most important questions you need to answer. You answer it right off the bat. You don't leave them wondering what could have been done here by just launching into your story. So we start with front-loading the danger. We then tell the jury how doctors, snorkeling companies, drivers, store owners, whatever your case may be, avoid that danger. Here's these known things that they can do. And then we say, let me tell you what happened here. Now, this is everything. Because if, again, you start with the story, which most of you do, and yes, you have your opening rule, but that's not enough, and you just go into your story, and then you talk about why or what they could have done to avoid what I just told you, that is the wrong order. Because jurors, in their mind, even if it's not, log- not logical, are thinking, well, yeah, but what can be done now? It already happened. Shit happens. Booyah, there we are. However, if you start with, here's this danger, here is this known way to prevent the danger, and it's an easy way to prevent it. It's super easy to do because it shouldn't be a complex, convoluted thing unless it is, and then you can be talking about training or all the other things. But I'm just saying, and, and you know, it's simple, make it simple. And then you say, now let me tell you what happened here. The jurors are going in that moment to be having the frame or the schema of this is avoidable. And then you walk through what the defendant did. And every time they make a choice in the story, which is how we train you to do it here at H2H, that didn't avail themselves of these very simple ways to avoid this danger, the jury is going to start blaming them immediately. Not to mention 
that jurors cannot properly judge conduct without context. Again, y'all have lived with your cases by the time they go to trial for years sometimes. It's so familiar to you that you think that it makes perfect sense to jurors. So you launch into your story and you assume that they will just know that that behavior was wrong. And that's particularly something that won't happen when it's something that they should have done and didn't do. So now there's the absence of an action. Jurors can't even begin to guess at what that might be, which is the majority of your cases. It's not, here's all the things they did wrong. Most of your cases are, here's all the things they didn't do. So how on earth can your jurors think about the things they should have done when you've never fucking told them? And again, you're going to say, well, I'm going to tell them. That's too late. That's why they think shit happens. I mean, the other, th- the other reason why we talk about teaching before story is because it keeps your story clean. So often I will hear what y'all tell me is a story and I'm like, this doesn't fucking sound like a story because you're like, let me take you back to the day we are at this location and we're using this XYZ thing. Oh, let me tell you what this XYZ thing is. For those of you who don't know what an XYZ thing, XYZs are used in ABC situations and here's why and here's how they're used. And here, If you have that in teaching, you don't need to stop your story and tell the jury what that means. But if you don't have a teaching section first, you have to keep stopping yourself to define terms and talk about things that the jury needs to know. And your story is no longer a story. It's a, just a big fucking mess that nobody can follow. So there's an additional thing. Now, I know if you're listening to this, you're thinking, yeah, but David Ball says we don't have credibility to teach in an opening statement. Here's what I have to say about that. I agree. If you do not do an H2H voir dire. An H2H voir dire, and I don't totally agree. That's not completely true. An H2H voir dire is one in which we get the jury to solve our problems for us, meaning we conduct it in such a way that the jury is telling us the things we know are happening are going to be said in opening. So instead of us saying it to them in opening as the first time they've ever heard it, they're actually educating us. What do you think a company should do if there are safety rules that will help save lives? Well, I think they should use them. Well, what's important about that? Well, if they know how to prevent a danger, then they should use those rules, right? They're saying that ahead of time so that when you get to opening, it's not you saying it, it's them saying it. But I also think, even those of you who don't have Wadir, that you do have, I don't think credibility is the issue, honestly. I really don't think, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reverse myself and say I don't, I, I don't agree with this at all. Because credibility is teaching. That's how you get credibility. Especially if what you're saying both sides would agree with to bring in Rick Friedman, right? It has to be something that the other side wouldn't argue with. It has to be such a duh, of course they do it that way. Duh, of course that makes sense. And all you're doing is equipping the jurors 
to do their job. And what I have found is that most jurors, all jurors, respect that and are thankful for that. So to reiterate, stop telling the jurors what happened and then after the fact, pointing out all the things the defendant did wrong and all the things that, how ways this could have been avoided because it's too fucking late. Instead, if you want to reverse this shit happens defense, start by saying how, what the danger is, how it can be avoided, and not just this company, how any doctor can avoid perforating a bowel, how any company can avoid people slipping on the sidewalk, right? Make it all the way, any company, any doctor, and how that could be avoided. And then let me tell you what happened here. The order is so important because just putting it first makes jurors feel as though it hasn't happened yet. And then if you tell that story in present tense, they are seeing it literally unfold in front of them and they are screaming internally at why the people didn't do the things you just said could have prevented this. That is how we prevent the shit happens defense. At least the shit happens thinking in the juror's mind. Hope that's helpful. Talk soon. Have you ever wished that you knew what the jury was thinking? Well, grab a pen and paper because I'm about to give you instant access to a free training I created for plaintiff trial attorneys called Three Powerful Strategies to Help You Read a Juror's Mind. It's going to help you to understand what the jury is thinking so you'll feel confident to trust them and yourself in the courtroom. Ready for the address? Go to sorryswears.com forward slash jury. Enjoy. Enjoy.